Welp, it happened. Yep. The Shingon Mommy, Amy Coney Barrett, got confirmed to the Supreme Court. As everyone sort of expected, really. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And other, probably more pressing news, um, Santa Claus is coming. With COVID. Okay, first Christmas can't wait for even Halloween to be over, and now it's going, by the way, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, not only did they break the, um, the goth, um, normie treaty, um, but the whole thing was to, like, Give them, give like Santa's, uh, basically essential worker status, give them the vaccine early in exchange. Yeah, that was basically the exchange. Oh, and, um, participate in a $250 million, um, public ad campaign to convince us that, yeah, actually everything's fine. Operation Warp Speed works. So, yeah. The, you're saying the Trump administration <laughs> went, we're going to, like, get Santa to sell out and shill our, it's totally not crocodile, non-existent vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. The... Fucking hell, what do we tell Virginia? Yeah. I mean, how many Christmas specials <laughs> just went down the shitter? Like yeah. the the Good the weeping God. of the Christmas entertainment complex is going to be heard around the world. <laughs> like how? So yeah. <laughs> Once again, the Republicans are not the party of business. Uh huh. I mean, at least uh -huh. like none of them went along with it. I will. I will give like like that is the important part to point out is that a lot of these like. The Santas were like, um, no, that's obviously fucking evil. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, welcome to Chop Shop we Economics. Read this shit so you don't have to. Yeah. And what a load of shit it is. Um, I'm Miss Silver. Um, with us is Doc. Um, Doc Spider. Um, Helen couldn't make it in. We were really pulling for her, but oh well. Um, okay, and, you know, so we'll have some words about Machine Gun Mommy later. Um, when we're not dealing with yeah. all the other much more pressing economic shit that makes up this fun thing called the material reality is like about five steps ahead of the political discourse. And when the material reality finally <laughs> completely snaps, the whiplash is going to be amazing. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's pretty bad. So, um, I guess we should get into well, it. Um, as everyone knows, COVID's third wave is raging. Caveat there being, you know, wave one never really broke, and neither did wave two. Like, really, it's just sort of this, like, increasing crescendo with steps. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a stepwise acceleration coming on here. Um, Every quarter, it just jumps up and gets even worse, because... The government refuses to do or, anything. Or at least it's not doing uh, anything... Sp- anything yeah, substantial. Because like, we are seeing... And this is what the big story is that's happening now, is we are seeing that the places that were the initial major outbreak centers, like in, you know, urban California, New England, um, like the New York uh, conurbation, and all these other places that were making headlines during Wave 1 are now mostly under control as far as infection rates go. Um, yeah. I mean, community transmission is still happening, but it's not as bad. Exactly. It could be worse. It's like a totally different country in some ways. Um, especially from where the new cases are surging is mostly in the interior, in uh, the American South, in all those places that were like, fuck masks, and fuck public health, and fuck the poor, um, are, like... Or, yeah, at the very least, they were like, we didn't have the resources then, what did you expect us to do now? For the ones that Um, are at least willing to own this is bad. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Instead, we're getting, like, all those places, like, remember how when this started, everyone was saying, well, the blue states are going to get plastered and the red states are going to be laughing? Well, now we're seeing infection rates that are just setting world records per capita. In, and, yeah. you know, this isn't, like, a moment of gloating. This is more just, remember, the people that make these prognostications for, like, the New York Times and MSNBC and Fox and all of these other like fucking wannabes that have never like wouldn't know what the hell a third eye is if you poked them in it. That that's the standard they were operating yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> like they basically told rural America, as they usually do, to just drop dead. And pretty much that's what's happening. Um, The only places that aren't really experiencing much movement on the needle are places of like less than a thousand people where community transmission is difficult at the quote-unquote best of times. And it's like you can Um, even see this stark dividing line where if you pull it up on like a county by county breakdown, it gets rapidly orangey and red the further you get from like the West Coast Pact and the 
you know, assertion of power that happened by the city of New York a while back that pretends to be a multi-state alliance. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's... And it's like, you know, this this was predictable. And things predictably have kind of gotten worse because... Um, a lot of these rural hospitals weren't doing so hot to begin with. Um, we got we got a situation in, in like fucking Idaho where they're they're trying to send um, us in Portland and Seattle. Um, they're trying to send us their patients because they they have no more beds for this. They're they're out. Most of the place is just not... They don't have the facilities. Um, and they wouldn't have had the facilities under a Clinton administration. They sure shit weren't going to get one under Trump. Which isn't helped by that local administration has already, like, for years given up on pretending that the state can do anything other than enable the worst excesses of capitalism. Um so, yes. like, this is what we've been saying since this COVID shit started, was the United States is going to be drawing the lines for COVID with fucking backhoes and mass graves, and you will be able to plot those lines based on the states that have semi-functional public administration versus the ones that don't. And those tend to scan blue and yeah. red because the Republican Party has completely blackpilled itself on this hardcore neoliberal bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they got this fucking nihilistic death drive. And, and let's on. not forget the infection rates um, that are happening in, like, say, California and New York, which, well, quite in a solid place compared to the rest of the United States would still be causing alarm in the European Union and would be appalling in Singapore or South Korea. Yeah. So, like, this this is not us (laughs) saying, so therefore Dems are good. This is us saying they managed to shit the bed less because they remembered that government isn't just there to pay the police to beat your striking workers. Yes. And it's like, we were, honestly, it's been the show's position for pretty much since we started that this is, this is what we're afraid of. We've been afraid of this exact scenario of, like, you know, rural American um, COVID rates just spiraling out of fucking control. Because, I mean, at least in the city, you have ICU beds. And we, in some ways, we were actually better equipped to um, handle things than a lot of other countries because we have so many goddamn ICU beds. Um, because of the way our health policy Namely that works. it's all about let the insurance companies do whatever the hell is best for the bottom line and fuck this much more efficient preventative care stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, the ICU pays exactly. the fucking bills. So 
yeah, that's we were warning about this when all the fucking galaxy-brained assholes in the punditry were like sitting around coming up with red states versus blue states shit and saying that urban America is going to finally get its just desserts. We were saying that's bullshit. Yeah. Charlotte Clymer sipping her coffee, contemplating the deaths of the rural ferals. You know somewhere Aaron Sorkin's like dry rubbing it himself to this headline. You know no, he is. Don't. No. I, I don't want to think about this. Oh, God. It, and this is like, I'm sure there's like some shit libs somewhere that are gloating about this, but the people who are going to get this in the teeth oh, yeah. are people who probably are that like put upon service worker who can't stay home because the fucking governor is a black-pilled asshole and they have to go out and work because there's been no shutdown or the shutdown ended months ago and there's no unemployment and there's no protections so they're having to like risk fucking infection or even getting just straight up shot by angry Karens yeah I mean, it's like, you know, you you live in this small town of, like, 5,000 people. You're the only person who works the gas station um, on that shift. Um, catching COVID becomes almost fucking inevitable. Like, maybe you'll point. get lucky and the local country club will become a super spreader, but... Yeah. You know. It's just... They can afford treatment. (laughs) To some degree. You can't. (laughs) So, yeah. It's just... And making it worse is, you know, the AIDS still isn't coming. Like, it's really, like, kind of... I don't really have a word for it. Like, I keep just, like, watching people like Jeff Stein and stuff who are, like, have been covering this for a while. And even there, they've done, like, stop pretending that there's going to be a deal at any point before Joe Biden hypothetically gets inaugurated. It's really just... It's, yeah. This is the kind of shit that's, like, I mean, we can't even really mock these folks because they're actually doing real reporting and aren't like bloviating around like fucking Santelli or Kramer or some asshat like that um, and getting paid to shout at a camera um, unlike us who get paid to shout at microphones check us out on Patreon by the way um, mm-hmm. but oh, yeah. it's um, this shit is so <sighs> this is going to make things worse. This is... People are going to fucking freeze to death in the cold because they can't keep their homes. Because PPE... Like, PPE, like, payment protection plan shit won't be renewed. Businesses are going to be going under, like, nobody's business. There's not going to be the money for the Fed to keep pretending everything's going to be okay. 
Where's my stimulus, McConnell? My stimulus. Where did you put it? Like, I want it's just that's where it is. It's not going to happen because enough of the Senate Republicans are going all out on this really evil austerity bullshit. Even the good ones, like fucking Mitt Romney, are not breaking ranks on this, even though it's obviously like stupid as fuck. Like, of the entire Senate caucus, only like Ted Cruz has actually publicly said, This is a dumb idea. Like, we might, he didn't say it, but there's sort of the subtext of, guys, this is how you get guillotines, but, you know, everybody hates Ted Cruz, so that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, he tried to defy, he tried to defy Trump, and then he licked Trump's boots, and then he went back on that. And nobody likes a flip flopper, especially one who's not being who's I being mean, so obviously self serving about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is uh, the thing of it is is like there are not enough votes to. <laughs> there's not enough votes. That's just. And, and there's one thing I do want to touch on that I've seen floating around among the Twitterati, which has got to be some of the dumbest bullshit I've ever seen. And this, like, mark this down, this is going to be like the one time I'm defending Nancy Pelosi. Um, <laughs> ever. Um, that there's this whole, like, argument running around that Pelosi is actively spiking any deal by refusing to compromise on, like, some key sticking points, like, you know, making sure the money's not just going to be a totally, like, unregulated slush fund, and actually demanding money for people out of work and all these other things that are, like, economically and socially necessary. Like, like it, it needs to be stressed that the halfway point that the Senate Republicans are demanding is a $500 billion stimulus package, full stop everything, which, like, come on, guys. If you're going to pretend it's a problem of they're not meeting us halfway, at least do something, like, vaguely credible that's not such a mouse fart of a proposal. Like, $500 billion in this economic crisis is, like, tissue paper. That's not gonna do fucking shit. Not even for the big money donors. I mean, there's nothing there. Yeah, it's... I mean, I... Mean, I there's nothing there! What the fuck are like, they Like, I understand do? the Bernie Kratz that are making the argument of Pelosi just needs to pass a thing, but this isn't like the Republicans are, like, close on the number, and there's, like, a few sticking points that are, like, total shitlit bullshit. It's, like, the House Democrats have a halfway workable proposal that would, you know slow the bleeding down a bit to a noticeable degree and the Republicans are over here going my band-aids have Superman on them yeah and also one of the key sticking points is obviously they want the slush fund they've got to have the slush fund um, they don't want any fucking accountability for the money um 
at least the money that they're gonna spend on, you know, their dollars. Like, this has gotta be the one time that we're actually defending the House Democratic leadership, so, you know, mark it down. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like, well, the thing is, is the, the House Democrats, and I can't believe I'm saying this, they did their fucking jobs. This, this is on McConnell, this is on Munchen, they should get their heads out of their ass and get this done, but they're not going to. It's not even on Mnuchin, even. Like, he's, he kind of has a vague understanding, probably from a totally, like, bank-based perspective, because he's been living inside Goldman Sachs' asshole since before mm-hmm. I was born. Um, that he at least is aware from what his friends on Wall Street are saying that not passing COVID aid is really goddamn dumb. And they want yeah. money, damn it. This is why we got you onto his cabinet. What the hell are you doing, Steve? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it is... It's his job to deliver the bacon. And he can't deliver it because, you know, this this old necromantic fuck from, from Kentucky is holding it all up. And it's not like he's diverting it into Kentuckians' pockets. He's just being a dick. Like, he, and you could totally see that, like, and far be it for me to show any sympathy to Steve Mnuchin, but he probably is well past the point of the Wall Street Mafia leaving his favorite horse's head in his bed and him, like, tearfully begging the holders of capital on wall street at their daughter's wedding for a favor like he's done it all and they're calling him again and he's just like not picking up the phone and being like please god please um (laughs) that's that's pretty much it yeah this is like (laughs) like what else can we do? Yeah. Really, <laughs> and Trump is, has the attention span if, of a fucking coked out goldfish, so he's not really been a help there. Yeah, I mean, it's like the problem is, is that you can't really pressure McConnell because he does whatever the fuck he wants, and nobody has the balls to stop him. I mean, remember, they got Machine Gun yeah. Mommy confirmed. This guy um, has got, like, a hard drive full of dead bodies somewhere. That's my explanation at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's either, you know... You, you know all the cliches I'm about to say, so I won't bar saying that, it. That's what we're dealing with. He's got some... Uh, he's got something on most oh, of yeah. those people. Of course... They don't have anything on the Tories, who are just, oh, this is just some great red horse shit, with a red right hand, no less. That may or may not be the red right hand of Ulster, flipping London the bird. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's like 
basically what they... They're fucked. What they need <laughs> is... Uh, they need a trade deal. They need a trade deal, and... I mean, obviously, McConnell is not in a position to give them one. Not that I think he really and, gives a shit what Britain does. worth pointing out that, you know, the UK has negotiated a trade deal with um, Japan that would, if things don't change post-Brexit, which, you know, anyone wants to lay down money on uh-huh. that, <laughs> just keep your money. Put it in the lotto. Um, as, like, it gives, like, something like yeah. half a percentage to GDP if things don't change. Um, so that's all they got. Everybody else is clearly doing the smart thing of waiting for the UK to fall off a cliff and be in no position to bargain with anyone. And, like, the only thing that was keeping this from being a total disaster is that Boris Johnson and Donald Trump get along famously. Because Boris Johnson knows exactly the right way to jingle keys in front of him or something. Um... And Biden is very much an unknown on which is all of not helped hands. by, as was discussed in a recent Financial Times headline, that the Biden campaign, in a bid to not look like they're being influenced by foreign powers, has refused to meet with representatives of any government. However, they have made a very crucial exception in saying that in releasing a statement that said any trade deal between the U.S. and the U.K. depends on the U.K honoring the Good Friday Accords, which at this point, the Tories look like they're ready to Leroy Jenkins that shit out of the building and totally disregard international law and like be like, yeah, fuck it. Perfidious Albion! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's like... I mean, Biden has much bigger problems. He's he's not going to give a shit about the UK. The UK kind of dug their own grave on this one. Like, that's that's a them problem. That's not a Biden. And, and the UK problem. is really not helped by that. Like passing a resolution supporting the Good Friday Accords is probably one of the few things that both parties could agree on. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> Steve King of New York may be some fucking MAGA knuckle-dragging prick from the Republican Party, but he'll be damned if partisan loyalties are going to get in the way of making sure that Armalite that totally doesn't exist gets offloaded in County Cork. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, what? They have no leverage here. That's the thing. Like, just as the U.S. has been busy pissing away, you know, all of its international standing with, you know, Trump and Bush too before him. I mean, it's like... And and on top of that, you've got... (laughs) That for the first time in fucking ever, there has been consistent polling that if a new border poll was held, 
then Northern Ireland would probably join the Republic of Ireland. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this point, it looks like the only real path to honoring the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement is going to be unification. Because, and it's like, you know, a lot of the Unionists, they don't like this idea, but at the same time, it's like, you know, Westminster just, you know, told us to piss up a rope. They told us, they told us to fuck off. Um, you know, we're not leaving the Union. The Union is leaving us. That's what's going down here, is that they've got a very messy situation of even, like, you know, mainstream unionists are starting to be like, actually, this is kind of fucked. Um, like, I, I don't think any of the hardcore yeah. have necessarily flipped, but I think what might happen is instead they'll just stay home. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's hard to be a unionist if, you know, the Brits don't fucking care what happens to you. So that's, like, you put that all together, and it would be not surprising to learn in a subsequent press release or some kind of leak or something that hits Fleet Street that uh, ranking Tory party leaders and ministers all the way up to Boris Johnson are being woken in the night of nightmares of their first state visit with the U.S. uh, under a Biden presidency, starting with the Americans unrolling a banner that reads 32 County Ireland as Joe Biden is ushered into the room to the sound of come out you black and tans and the proceedings are closed with a stirring rendition of O Flower of Scotland. Like (laughs) somewhere there's like a crowd of terrified interns who are huddling in a corner as party leader Jacob Rees-Mogg rants and raves about Fenian treachery uh, while they're, as they're just kind of saying they're going like please sir we, we can we leave now <laughs> yeah just I mean what, what the f- and it's like all of this is avoidable every single bit of this was fucking avoidable I mean, I don't know how much Jeremy Corbyn could have done with uh, done about like, this, but theoretically, in, now if we're going to you know go with scenario one, which is the Blairites don't rat fuck him, and he manages to eke out a bare majority in twenty seventeen. I mean, who knows? At that point, the Labour platform, with agreement, by the way, from the fucking shitlit Blairites, no less was we're respecting the results of the referendum and we'll find some kind of other way out that, you know, at the time Corbyn was talking some kind of Norway plus kind of arrangement. Um, something similar to like what Switzerland gets, which would have maintained Good Friday and not pissed off the EU. Um, if he had somehow gotten a coalition in the face of, you know, the BBC and the Blairites and half the press actively rat-fucking him in 2019... Then the campaign promise was to hold a new referendum, which the fuck knows how that might have turned out. Um, Like, it could have been a narrow win for Remain. Who knows? Um, 
but it certainly wouldn't have been this. So, you know, remember Blairites, you made this bad. You get to lie in it. (laughs) You wanted this. You fucking wanted this. (laughs) Incidentally, the next time some Blairite swears up and down that they love the European Union, ask them about 2017 and 2019, and then tell them to shut the hell up. They have no principles Mm -hmm. other than fucking the left. Yep. Uh, Perfidious Blairites. And it's like to the free Blairites who listen to this show, if any of you actually fucking exist, like, not only is this your fault, but let's be honest, the U.S. would not have dealt with you either. Any American president would have taken you for every penny they could, without exception. The reason would have been different for each one, but you would have been soaked. That's just the long and short of it. You would have been soaked. Because we don't need you. That's, That's the thing. It's not... The Cold War is over. We don't fucking... If anything, we'd need you to be Airstrip 1 against the European Union. Yes. Yes. And if you can't provide that, then we have no use for you. That's just our real politics right now. I absolutely guarantee that if we're assuming the Tories like get a sudden burst of oh shit maybe we shouldn't be totally stupid once biden's in office assuming that happens of course um Uh i wouldn't be at all surprised if priority number one of a prospective biden administration in any brexit scenario is as long as we get to keep our unsinkable aircraft carrier and american companies have a market they can dump goods into we do not give a shit Yeah, and it's like it's not like our trade volume was, you know, super impressive. Y'all needed the European market. And let's be real about this one. If you really (laughs) want to see, when I'm saying just, I just want a market for American companies to dump their goods in, that doesn't mean, okay, Americans Mm -hmm. are going to be flooding money and stuff and the UK is going to be profiting. This is going to be more like what the US did to Jamaica in the 90s and utterly decimated Jamaican agriculture with subsidized American cheap exports. Yeah, we're we're going to take your factories and we're going to ship them to fucking Mississippi. Yes, even though. That's what will happen. It will not be like under Biden, it will not be nice. Like, it might have actually been marginally better under Trump, purely because Boris Johnson would have been able to get him into a position of being fucking, like, oh my god, you're the strong man I want to be kind of shit. And, you know, gotten Trump to not pay attention for five minutes. Maybe. But that'd be, like, marginally better, because the rest of it would still be fucking shitty and subject to Trump having a Twitter tantrum. Yeah. 
and <laughs> say, hey, Blairites, you got this. You bought this. <laughs> you broke it. You At least it. you'll get to run on who lost Ireland. Mm-hmm. And then who lost Scotland? Who lost Northumbria? Who lost Wales who and lost Cornwall? London? <laughs> yeah, who lost the city-state of London? <laughs> All of a sudden, England is feeling really fucking small, isn't it? <laughs> but hey, that's something to look forward to. Because <laughs> meanwhile, we got some real, like, totally black horse, black pill. Hey, that food crisis thing we've been talking about hasn't gone away shit. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's, yeah. It's very, it's out of control. I mean, 1.5 million New Yorkers can't afford food. Um. So the short version is that's the number of residents of New York City who uh, depend on food banks to not starve. In a city of, by the way, approximately 8 million people, 1.5 million people, in the richest city in the richest country on the planet are now food precarious. Totally normal country. Yeah. Yeah. We're just... Jesus, fuck. We're just going into, you know, record-setting statistics about hunger across the country. And this is not just unique to New York. We have seen reports from all over the United States that there are record numbers of food-insecure people that were this approximately, like, 20% of New York's population, this one in five that we're looking at Mm -hmm. there, that is... Not an outlier. That is not the filthy Sodom by the Hudson fucked it up and they deserved it. This is like, these numbers are showing up in rural counties. They are showing up in cities across the country. Like, this is the reality of the United States government went let the poor fucking starve instead of guaranteeing paychecks and income in a stable fashion like almost every other country facing lockdowns and shit did. Yeah. I mean, it's... This is... This is the current normal. Food insecurity is the normal here. And... I mean... We can't say we weren't warned. Like, this, this was, this is something that honestly, all of the co-hosts we've had, including me, Doc, Death, Helen, we've all feared this. We're not quite at the point of food riots, but I don't know. 
give it another quarter or two. I don't see. That's that's why Biden is all we ha- we're facing a dark oh, yeah. winter. This is this is gonna be a cold and hungry winter, people. The like. Not going to sugarcoat this. We're not going to pretend this is anything other than what it looks like. This is... We're going into a absolute social disaster territory here. Like, really, the only possible silver lining on this is if the Democrats perform as it appears they will at the ballot box, and there's not significant shenanigans from the Republican Party then they're going to have to do something so that they don't get dragged out of the Capitol building and shot by an angry mob. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you don't... You don't want to see what the consequences of that are going to be. It's... Revolutions... Revolutions have consistently been started by bread riots. You know, let's remember that <laughs> it was the bread riot that nobody saw come—not not even that nobody saw coming—the umpteenth bread riot that everyone in power said, "Well, it's just another example of the peasants revolting because they want bread." But this time, it snowballed. Yeah, I mean, reminder that part of the reason the Syrian civil war happened was because of famine. Um, A lot of Lebanon's political instability right now, that's also food security related. Or the lack thereof. This thing called Um, food security is why we stopped being hunter-gatherers and started doing this agricultural thing. Like, it is such a basic functional society thing that fucking it up on this scale is a seer it isn't like approaching an existential threat to the stability of the american system yeah and i mean it's just it's not and don't be like, if you're like some kind I, of accelerationist insurrectionist, I would not be looking on this with glee. This is going to be awful. Like, if you're serious, if you're somebody who's serious about let's just throw the brick on the gas pedal and go for, go for revolution, then you should be talking to your local food not bombs like right now. Yeah. I mean, this is... Like, there's going to be the thing about <laughs> the thing about revolution is that you know it's an inherently unstable process. It is it is not nearly as clean or neat as the hagiographies make it sound. The French Revolution successfully um, replaced a Bourbon king with Emperor Napoleon when all was said and done, and went back to a Bourbon uh-huh. king again. Yes. Followed by another That's, Napoleon. Yeah. I mean, th- that's what happens if you fail. And <laughs> I hate to say it, but food is a huge part of that. 
there's no good way to say this. Like, it's in between that and you know the eviction crisis we're staring down. It's the already really of. kind of like happening in slow motion in a lot of places and picking up steam. Like, this is gonna be like I would not want to be the fascist who's trying to hold on to power under these circumstances. Yes. I mean, I, let me put it this way, I would not be surprised to learn that half the reason Mussolini got the treatment he did was because he wasn't feeding the fucking people. Yep. This is... I mean, this is the unstable conditions we are now in. Yeah. And it's like, a lot of this is, unfortunately, locked in at this point. Things could have been done. They weren't. Yeah. Um, This is, don't, if, you know, things go peacefully, if... November the 3rd ends with Trump jumping on a plane and fucking off or whatever is the most peaceful outcome. There will still be all this to deal with. Getting the orange man out of the White House is not going to magically change that the United States is in its deepest level of social collapse since the Great Depression and arguably the greatest level of political collapse since the Civil War. Yeah. Um, I mean, according to some instruments of measuring political instability, we are already past the level um, that we saw in the Civil War. It's an interesting BuzzFeed article. I'll show it to you sometime. Um, half of you have probably seen it by now. <laughs> like, correct me if I'm uh, wrong, but I'm pretty sure but, that a widespread famine and homelessness crisis was not among the triggers of the American Civil War. Oh yeah, I mean a lot of this, a lot of this political stability is baked in, um, and this is just. You know, fuel for the fire. Yeah. At this point. This is... Like, anyone who's resigning themselves about an incoming Biden administration or what have you, or you're looking at quite justifiably still being prepared for the possibility of Orange Man doing something really fucking dumb and fighting it out, there will still be this. When it's when that's over, yeah. and this will be a significant factor in how that plays out. Yeah. <sighs> so, Shall yeah, we especially since this involves getting to talk about people who really deserve it biting the fucking dust. <laughs> So. <laughs> okay, anyway, three, two, one.
So we've been following that a while. And one thing that we actually pointed out last week that's kind of interesting is that the one of the big unanswered questions so far is what kind of exposure do the banks have to this whole thing called an entire sector of the economy eating shit and dying before our eyes? Uh, Turns out it's quite a number. <laughs> and it's like it's at every possible scale. Like some of these beaks are like fucking tiny, like forty-five million dollar. How do you how do you have a forty-five million dollar market cap as a bank, and you're you know leveraged past your eyeballs with fucking oil debt? It's it's just incredible. And this is like even the biggest banks are looking at levels of exposure of like JP Morgan Chase as of December 31st was reporting 7% exposure to this market, which, you know, comes to like somewhere in the neighborhood of $41.57 billion. Uh, Bank of America, who was like the biggest, like one of the bigger ones as far as exposure, was sitting at 10%. Citigroup was at 15, you know, as you do. <laughs> One sixth of your portfolio in oil and gas, as you do. Um, and that this is significant chunks of some of the biggest and mid sized players in finance are tied up in an industry that is fucking dead. Yeah. I mean, even even a couple of, like, really small outfits are apparently, like, hyper-exposed to this shit. Um, mostly banks that are, like, you know, local to an oil field, essentially. Where, you know, they, they don't really do retail banking, and they're mostly a loan service vehicle. Exactly. It's what they're I, they're there to package loans. Yeah. Like that. So it's and this is stuff that by the way, we're talking about <laughs> figures from end of twenty nineteen, beginning of twenty twenty. Now since then, a lot of banks have pared down their exposure significantly. But it is important to stress for those who are not familiar in banker bullshit speak, that paring uh-huh. down your exposure doesn't just mean okay we're finding ways to get out of these contracts it means in some cases that you're just saying you know what we're gonna have to eat the loss and find a way to make up for it somewhere else or just you know take that hit yeah and it's we suspect um and I suspect quite a few others suspect that um, part of who's exposed, you see, is um, how to put this. This is the biggest players. Yeah, it's this isn't. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's not just. 
that's the thing, though. It's it's not. It's not just them. Well, and how, I mean, everyone. How much in the way of derivatives do you think they've spun off of this? Like, a couple hundred billion know. dollars in capital? This, which is what we're talking when you combine all these banks in terms of, you know, exposure. You could easily turn that into trillions of dollars of funny money floating around. Easily. That all depends on the underlying okay. asset. Now I remember what I was so freaked out about. Remember when the Federal Reserve just turned on the money printer? <laughs> and, you know, everything went insane? I think that I suspect a large part of that handout was to make a lot of these entities whole. Which would explain why we haven't seen the markets take a hit from this in a visible way, because they got bailed out on what's got to be just an enormous disaster for finance. In fact, like to really kind of give you a sense of how big of a disaster this is, as of April 24th, this was reported in Reuters. Fitch ratings expected the energy loan default rate, and this was when the Fed was farting money into space like it was going out of style. They expected the loan default rate to hit around 18% by year end. For one in five loans extended into the energy sector and, you know, read the subtext, oil and gas, to go boom. For point of comparison, the threshold that triggered the subprime mortgage crash was 8% of all subprime mortgages bundled into mortgage-backed securities defaulting. It's not even 8% of the housing market defaulting. 8% of the most dog shit part of the housing market defaulting. <laughs> that's that's what this we're is looking Wall at. Street failed in 2008 because the co- like this isn't like to put it away that some like anyone who's totally sorry I need to cut this blah blah, blah. like to put this another way this is Wall Street going belly up because they bet on the Cubs winning this year. (laughs) Yeah, this is... Or, you know, betting on the Cubs losing in 2016. Yeah. I mean, that's 2008, yeah. basically. The 2008 crisis was... No, the Cubs couldn't possibly win, and then they did. As far as 
market exposure. Mm-hmm. This is more like like how the fuck the oil and gas industry is going to walk this one off is going to be amazing because I suspect even with the Fed money that was being like showered on them to like avoid total disaster, they're still <laughs> fucked. Oh yes. Like what the hell do you do oh, yes. if you are Citigroup and Shell Oil has announced they're getting the hell out of oil? Like <laughs> I don't uh, I don't I don't know. I, I guess it's time know. to break out that um, bottle of scotch you've been saving for the special occasion cuz <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Fuck it, that 30-year bottle's not going to drink itself. Yep. And I suppose that leads us into a smaller fraud. Um, <laughs> they had it coming. <laughs> They had it coming. Quibby is fucking dead. And for those who are making the the what the fuck expression Mm -hmm. on your face, it was that one other social media network that was trying to go head to head with TikTok in the dumbest way possible and somehow got venture capital money. No, no, they were not a social media network. And that was part of what took them out. (laughs) Wait, it's that bad? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, they... Okay, so, Queenie, um, we should back up a bit. <sighs> um, how to put this? So, basically, would you like to watch videos from 5 to 12 minutes long on your video? Uh, mm, you know, that's that's how long these are, exclusively on your phone, where the content is designed to work in either vertical or horizontal orientation, and most of the content is a dumping ground for, like, TV pilots, series, and movies that have been, like, awkwardly sliced up into five to ten minute chunks. Would you like ads with that? Would you like to pay, like, you know, $5 a month for the privilege, or $8 a month without ads? Yeah. That that's quitty. sounds really dumb. Like, even mm-hmm. by the standards of Silicon Valley, that's really dumb. Their Series A offering was 1.75 billion. I don't recall what their exact valuation was supposed to be, but it, it probably had to be something insane to get that much out of them. Um, and they made a huge play for content, but they didn't have very much in the end. And most of what they had was like, um, like I said, most of it was like 
a TV pilot or a series that had been made but didn't couldn't be sold, um, or you know, a movie. Well, and this especially happened with you know during the COVID nineteen epidemic, where they were like, okay, so how the fuck are we going to sell a theatrical experience when nobody could go to the fucking movies? Um, and so they optioned it for Queeby. Um, you're probably noticing some problems with that strategy here. Because nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Short-form content is really difficult to make money off of. Um, TikTok does it by being a social network and dealing in volume. Um, YouTube has elements of a social network, and they are both a short and long-form service. They have IPTV plays. Um, they have their own premium services. Um, like, uh, and obviously, you know, Netflix, they have actual movies and actual TV series. And you don't have to just watch it on your phone. Wait, wasn't also, like, part of why Quibi did this and set it up the way they did is because it also got around Screen Actors Guild rules and thus allowed them to dick over actors and ignore the union? Yeah, because new media doesn't pay as much. Um, like, the short-form rules are mostly there so that short-form is profitable. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the, those projects are usually meant to be one-offs, and really this whole thing should be renegotiated um, to begin with. Uh, like, part of the play was quite simply to bust unions, which is which is part of the baffling thing, which is, uh, and I'm not sure why they didn't do this, but why didn't they start trying to tap YouTube talent? Um, and the answer is quite a few of those are locked up in exclusivity agreements. Um, and the rest, you know, didn't really want to take a chance. Um, you know, if you get to like a if you get high enough with YouTube, um, you know, you tend to sign an exclusive contract is the thing. And signing that with, you know, some new upstart like Queeby, like what the fuck is Queeby? Um, is that like you know, some sort of DoorDash clone? Like why why the fuck would I watch videos on that? Um that's that's the only real source you have for people who know short form and are willing to get something out of it is like you have to have a lot of nonfiction content, which they didn't really shop that well. Um, they spent four hundred and fifty million on their marketing budget. Um, they had no facility for screenshots or viral video clips. Um there was, let me put it this way, they did not have 
a fucking TV app for any of the streaming platforms um, until the day before they went under. The day. And they spent $1.75 billion of VC money on this. This is... And this has got to be the easily the worst business plan that has come out of Silicon Valley since some dipshit, shit the not, managed to get funding for an app that is designed for your dog to tell them when they have to go pee. <laughs> there were billboards and everything for that in San Francisco. I wish I was making that one up. That was a thing. Oh, God. I'm remembering that one, um, that one startup outfit that, um, was like, we'll, we'll send you a roll of quarters on a subscription plan so you don't have to go out and mingle with the dirty poor so you can run your coin op laundry. And I'm just like, what the fuck? I mean, just, just go to Safeway. Just go to Safeway and, you know, exchange a 20. Like, why, why the fuck would that exist? And yet, <laughs> that company didn't get funded, but Queen Somehow. Did. Um, this is, yeah. So, they've, they finally get it. There's another comparison I, <laughs> there's another comparison I love to make. Um, which is, um, there is a workaround uh, streaming service that was created last year. Um, they premiered February 26th. Um, and when they did that, they had their desktop and mobile experience working. They had apps in the mobile app stores. They had um, apps for all three of the TV streaming platforms, Roku, um, Android, um, Apple TV. Um, and they're still around. Quibi launched April 4th, and as of a few days ago, it is dead. It is fucking dead. And Means TV, which is the service I'm talking about, they launched with, like, less than half a million dollars. They're still around. <laughs> Quibi is dead. This is it. And this shit is just gonna keep happening. And the first, the stupid shit's gonna go. Oh, then the less stupid shit's gonna go. Welcome to the new economy, mm -hmm. everybody. Yep. It's amazing. Um, this is, yeah. It's like, it's just, everything is it's fraudulent. It's all fraud. It's all bullshit. All the banks launder money for everybody. You want the details? Check out our special <laughs> report on that. Um, it's all bullshit. <laughs> oh, and there also might be a corporate yeah. civil war starting in South Korea. Oh, yeah, that. So, um, I mean, a lot, a lot of ink and uh, ink has been spilled and bandwidth and, um, you know, satellite TV time. All of it wasted on the question of what the fuck is going to happen with Samsung. Ever since the guy uh, got incapacitated um, back in 
2014. Um, the CEO of Samsung has been basically in a some sort of either vegetative state or you know they were just like, keeping him around. We don't really know the details. There's been a lot of speculation. Um, it came at a very inconvenient time because the inheritance wasn't quite structured in a way that would save the uh, save his little failed children from the um, from the inheritance taxes. So at this point, watch the space. Who knows? You know? It's gonna be it's gonna be it's fucking gonna be crazy. Fun. But. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I do believe that is the sound of the gates of hell opening up. Capitalist hell, of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. So, our first big one. Remember how when we talked about the FinCEN files and the leak that shows everybody is fucking laundering money for everyone and how sooner or later shoes were going to start dropping. Well, the first one landed in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, thanks to our correspondent there for pointing us uh, to this. Um, CIB um, run by an ex-Deutsche Bank um, <laughs> That their mistake was hiring yeah, someone from they... like Deutsche Bank. Like everyone fucking knows they're a mob bank. Come on, <laughs> my fucking dog knows that. Probably yeah. because I shout it randomly yeah. at two o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> <laughs> so basically, they um. They for uh, the government um, through their um, anti fraud agency. They basically forced the CEO out. Um, some of the details are beyond me because I don't fully understand how how their laws work. But this was you know a, uh, this was a privately owned bank um, correspondent relationship with Chase. Um, but the fraud all occurred in Egypt. And, yeah, they can't account for, like, um, six billion. Not in a way that satisfies the regulators. So, you know, um, as you do, <laughs> like, pretty surely the Pentagon can get away with losing six billion dollars. Yeah, but ever since all the reforms went through, um, no, they don't allow that in Egypt. So, <laughs> um, he got kicked out of the CEO position, um, because he is in deep shit. Uh, an interim CEO has been appointed until, um, basically they get, you know, right with the regulatory agencies. Um, they have options. They can nationalize them, um, which has happened before. Um, they could um, basically, you know, remove its license completely and just, you know, leave it to twist in the wind. Um, 
like th- this happened um, way back when, um, a couple of years ago, um, and a bank ba- uh, bank basically was fully owned by the by the Egyptian government, and um, it's been only recently that they bought back enough to technically not be under state control anymore. Because usually they demand a pretty large stake in the bank. And I'm sorry to our um, Egyptian comrades if I'm like totally fucking this up. Worth pointing Um, out, by the way, that the Obama administration did have a comparable stake in most of Wall Street post-2009. I I would just like to point (laughs) out that there was a point when... uh, the great hope of the West Wing uh, audience could have very legitimately been firing CEOs left and right without breaking a sweat. Yeah. They could have liquidated the entire board of directors. They could have gone, holy Um, shit, what the hell are you doing with these books? This is clearly fraudulent. Go away. Ah, what could have been? But Obama needs to be remembered basically. as not just the most cynical president in recent history, according to the West Wing Thing podcast, but just... Ah! He could have presented Wall Street to the mob in the Coliseum, chopped off their heads... And shouted, are you not entertained? And people would have cheered him (laughs) on. I mean, that would have assured... And he would have been right to do so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part of how we got Trump. Because he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't fucking do it. Um, He was like, you know, well, actually, I, I think... We're just going to leave the banks alone. Um, I think um, that you need to um, hand me that stethoscope so I can listen in on your emails. Um, I I don't want... We could have done this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gordon <laughs> Brown in the UK could have done this. Mm-hmm. Any number of politicians in the European Union could have done similar shit. Yeah. But, I mean, surely there would be, like, a, a moral hazard to taking over a bank <laughs> just because they, um... Well, let me, let me see. Um, failed to do the uh, fiduciary duty. Um, that's... That's not actionable. Obvious fraud is not actionable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course not. I mean, Why we can't violate the Iran-Contra precedent, now can we? I mean, if we're going to be okay with no. an incoming president forgiving and pardoning a whole slew of people for committing some light to moderate treason, then how can we punish Wall Street? Mm-hmm. Yep. And yet, that's... Yeah. Amazing. Totally normal totally. system. I mean, it's like 
they're not perfect by a long shot, but, you know, at least they were willing to, you know. At least they <laughs> Scooby-Dooed the banks. Yes. Yes. Uh, you'd think uh, that's such a low bar. Yes. I mean, this is this is what a lot of us were fucking waiting for during the Obama administration. Like, you know, give me some give me some fucking hope here. Give me one good goddamn reason why the system should not be. Fucking burned. hell, one of the first things Roosevelt did was appoint a commission in nineteen thirty-three after he came into office to investigate what the hell happened on Wall Street. And they dragged the banks through the mud and just absolutely excoriated them. Like that was how Glass de Gaulle happened. That was how the FDIC happened. That was how banking was dramatically overhauled to the point that it was the most boring fucking business out there until the late 60s. Yeah. Like the SNL crisis, the derivatives fuck up, um, what's happening now, you can all trace it to winding that shit back. And and we yes. know from paying any attention to American history that when uh, the god president Roosevelt did that, it was incredibly popular. People liked seeing the crooks get what they had coming. What a fucking shocker. Uh-huh. <laughs> <sighs> but, you know, that would have pissed off the donors. You can't have that. And meanwhile... And now they're gonna... And meanwhile, we got what you could say is actually some pretty good green shoots, really, coming out of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So last week, <laughs> so last week, um, we reported that Rochester, um, in Rochester, um, the AFL-CIO branch voted. Um, to put a general strike on the table if there is an attempted coup. And now it seems that Seattle has done the same. At least that's as far as I understand it. Do you care to go it's, into detail? Yeah, I mean, that's basically the gist of it, is the Seattle AFL-CIO, which represents over 150,000 unionized workers, has officially voted to call a general strike if it looks like Donald Trump's going to stage a coup. I I can only get so erect. <laughs> the, this is the AFL-CIO, the union federation that is notorious for dragging ass or even just outright opposing the notion of a strike that is not directly connected to a narrowly constructed contract negotiation related grievance. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we're talking some hardcore West Wing brain here and they are like, actually, you know what? Let's do the down tools thing to stop fascism. Yeah. And that's, yeah. 
you know, it's not like that's never happened on the city level before. There have been, including Seattle, funny enough, uh, citywide general strikes in the United States before. Like, not oh, yes. in memory, but it's happened. And I guess that kind of gives a good model of what that might look like if that were to happen. If your local labor council has decided to say we're throwing up the barricades and they have the heft to actually make it matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were... It, it is important to note that the national leadership is still dragging They're not totally. This. Like, Richard Trumka, the head of the AFL-CIO, who, you know, it needs to be mentioned, is an absolute shit and a total labor skate, so fuck mm-hmm. him normally, ha- did back in September express support for this kind of thing. Like, he didn't go so far as to use the words general strike, but he did, like, give a statement basically saying, you know, we may need to do this thing called labor action to preserve American democracy. Yeah. So it's worth mentioning that, like, Trumpka was like, you know, we just need to focus on the get out the vote stuff for now. Um, he wasn't... And I don't, I don't think he was super thrilled with these two resolutions. Um, I mean, he considered them um, unnecessary, hasty, that kind of thing. Usual bullshit. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, this is, we're already starting to see movement, and it looks like, you know, if anything gets out of hand, the precedent has been set. And, you know, it only really takes one region's um, section to um, to go for it. And that needs to be stressed, that historically speaking, when we're talking the most successful general strikes in history, like, this includes, like, the strike that stopped the cat putched, in early Weimar Germany and things like the 1933 West Coast General Strike and a whole bunch of other similar examples, or like the British 1926 General Strike, usually what happens is one mm-hmm. or a handful of unions don't even necessarily call for general strike. They just down tools and say, you know what, this is too fucking much. And then other unions declare solidarity and before you know it, everybody's on fucking strike. Like, that's historically how it's happened. So to actually see, like, regional sections of the AFL-CIO in particularly Seattle, which is somewhere they could really flex some serious muscle, saying, yeah, we're going straight for the fucking high bar from the get-go. This is... Mm-hmm. the the. Like, it doesn't really matter that less than 10% of Americans are in labor unions, because at that point, solidarity strikes could happen. We know they have that unorganized strikes in the sense of workers who are not formally in a union downing tools because of COVID shit and then because of George Floyd have been reaching levels not seen since, like, the fucking glory days of the CIO in the mid-30s. 
and they were throwing down with GM and Ford and the steel industry. Like, <laughs> this, if you see a general strike in any one significant area, this could very easily snowball. There's already a lot of potential for labor militancy. And if there's one thing that can topple a government, it's when workers down tools in critical industries and stop playing along. It's worth noting that Seattle wasn't the only one to go along with Rochester here. Um, The Western Massachusetts section also went for them. Um, I'm not sure if that's all of them, but... <laughs> and we know that the longshoremen um, will down tools for a solidarity strike without even batting an eye normally. Yeah, I mean, it's like... They don't want to get shown up by the AFL-CIO. If, they're, they're probably going to be like burning I mean, hot cars and shit outside Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> you love to see it, folks. Yeah. And we've got we've had tenant strikes and tenant occupations of like fucking courthouses to stop eviction proceedings happening already all over the place. Like we talked about that last week, and that shit was awesome. So this is like, I mean, as much as it looks like, according to our models and predictions, that things may be starting to cool down because at least in terms of maybe there's a coup or not, because Trump got COVID and got knocked off his game. But, you know, if there still is the end run for it, if Stephen Miller plops a pile of drugs in front of Donnie and says, let's fucking go, then they're playing with fire. Like, this is far from resolved in the right's favor. Yes. And it's like, even if, you know, there is a peaceful transfer of power, we're still going to have to go up against those fucking people again. The far right is not going to take this line down. And the centrists are going to be very interested in going back to quote-unquote normal. Um, you know, spin up in our cat food commission um some other dumb shit while you know the country burns like they're probably gonna want a grand compromise like biden is what it does the only takeaway i got really from the third debate was pretty much that biden is absolutely willing to you know cut social security oh, yeah. Like, he, he didn't say, uh, he didn't rule it so, out. So, you know, remember, um, as we're going into what's going to be a really dark and hungry winter, once that general strike glass has been broken once, it's really easy to pick it up again. And, mm-hmm. you know, if Biden decides to do the American Kerensky thing, that water's already gone under the bridge. That ship will yeah. have sailed. All the metaphors will be appropriate. <laughs> and, yes. you know, maybe 
we get something better out of this one way or the other. Yeah, so... Uh, that's it? Us, yeah. Alright. So... Well, it's a chop shop economics. Good luck out there. Bye, everybody. <laughs>